Good morning. Welcome to Regeneration. Uh, my name is Albert. Um, if you're new to our church here, I like to be taken out to lunch. Um, <laughs> totally kidding. Um, if you're new here, the way that we study the Bible is we just go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we are in Luke chapter 11, and we're covering verses 14 through 32 this morning, uh, Lord willing. And so uh, with such a huge section of scripture, um, I'm going to start right into it without an intro. So if you're thinking, well, where's his intro and his body and his conclusion? Sometimes I just don't do that. But let's open us up in prayer. Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit to fill this place, to fill the hearts and minds of the people here. We ask God for your blessing upon them. We ask God that you would open our minds to what your word says. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 14, now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and people marveled. We read in verse 14 that the people marveled, and it's very fitting as to why they would, right? I mean, this is, this is pretty amazing stuff that's happening here that, that Jesus is doing. Here, here was a man who was mute because of, of a demon, and after Jesus casted it out, he, he's able to speak. So, so the buzz about this once mute man, you know, it's, it's, it's spreading. And one would think that because of such a wonderful miracle taking place that, that the people would be really receptive in receiving Jesus and the claims of Jesus, which was he was Messiah. Right? So the Savior, and the, the, the person that the scriptures were prophesying about, wouldn't this kind of help those type of doubters over their hump, you would think? But it doesn't. Verse 15, but some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. So rather than acknowledging Jesus' healing power coming from God, some of the people credit Jesus' miracle from Satan, from, from the devil, from Beelzebul. So, and so when we look at these people, um, Luke doesn't tell us who they are. We have to look at the other gospel accounts to give us descriptions of who these people were that were accusing Jesus of casting out demon or people, uh, demons in the name of Beelzebul. So we look into Matthew's gospel account. And back in Matthew chapter 9, verse 34, Matthew references the Pharisees. And then if you go into Luke, Mark's gospel, Mark references the scribes in Mark chapter 3, verse 22. So this group of people accusing Jesus of being of the devil are religious folks, church folks. People who were scholars of the scripture, people who knew the scriptures. And if anyone was to recognize who the Messiah was going to be and, and when, when he came on the scene, wouldn't it be them? Wouldn't they be the people to recognize this? But did they? No, right? In fact, they're the ones saying that Jesus is of the devil. So the very people whom others look to for spiritual direction, for spiritual guidance, for spiritual counsel, can't even recognize who Jesus is. So is it really a surprise that religious people, religious leaders within churches in our day hurt people? See, it's been happening for generations. It happened to Jesus himself. See, when God incarnate made himself seen to the people who were religiously studying about him, they can't even recognize him. And they're supposed to be the guys that are the ones that are in tune to this stuff. So is it really that big of a surprise when religious people, leaders, scholars, pastors, teachers within the Christian church misrepresent Jesus Christ? 
See, they accuse Jesus of getting his ability from the devil and they vehemently oppose Jesus, right? Accusing him of things. And these guys weren't interested in the truth. These guys chose not to research the truth. Why is that? Why would these guys who are waiting for a Messiah not look into the truth? Part of it is because it's their prejudice. Right? These, these guys look at Jesus and like, how, how can this guy be our Messiah? He doesn't fit the bill of a Messiah. Because he didn't look the part. Even though he, if you look at the scriptures, he fits the bill. But just from our human standpoint, right? He's not from the right pedigree. I mean, look at, look at where he came from. He, he came from a no-name town. He got trained in a no-name uh, uh, town. And, and his father and mother, you know, they had some terrible reputations. So they refused to believe the Scriptures even though they knew what the Scriptures said. Now, does this sound familiar to anyone? How many people do you know ignore what the Bible teaches and, lets, and, and they let their other agendas in their life, they let their culture, they let their political standing, they let whatever else dictate to them what the Bible is really saying? So the Bible is driven by some other agenda rather than the Bible itself. So they know the things of the Bible, and, but somehow they ignore some parts and they misinterpret some parts. So there are some things in the Bible that are pretty simple to understand but it is unbelief that makes it so difficult for some people to truly embrace Jesus especially for those who believe that being good is enough that if I'm just good I'll get to heaven if I'm just good then Jesus loves me if I'm just good sad to say but this is true I know of non-Christians who do more good than Christians right they say better things. They um, do better things, especially in the area of generosity. If you ever wonder about this, if this is to be true, just go to a server at a restaurant and ask who the worst tippers are. And they typically show up on Sunday dressed really nice. And instead of leaving a tip, they leave a Bible tract or something. If you come to regeneration, please don't do that. Please don't do that. If you pray before your meals at a restaurant, can you please at least leave a 20% tip? Right? If you're going to be a testimony out there and you're going to pray, okay, family, let's pray for this food and thank you for the servers and stuff like this, and you leave like a dollar tip on a $20 bill, don't pray. Just don't pray. You're, that's a bad testimony. Now, I understand if the service is just bad, and you, know, you tip accordingly, right? You tip accordingly. But if it's good, just tip 20%. What's an extra dollar or two dollars, right? Don't ruin the testimony, please. Like, be generous. Anyway, back to unbelief. <laughs> unbelief, I, I used to work as a server, too, in high school. So I, I relate, like... What is this? Like, I used to work at a Chinese buffet place in my uncle's restaurant. And, you know, I, people all dressed up nice. They coming in from church. And, you, and I, I would always tell the other waiter, that's your table. I'm not. I, I, I'm one of them. I know how we are. That, that's your table. So, unbelief. Unbelief derived from self-righteousness. 
Right? And within that self-righteousness, there's, there's usually a comparison taking place, right? Oh, I'm better than that person. I don't do those things. And, and thinking that because, you know, I'm not that bad or, or I'm better than this person or that person. I, I, I don't need to believe in the God of grace if I just rely on myself thinking those things, right? But it's all a gift of grace. In John chapter 16, verses 8 through 9, Jesus speaks in regards to how the Holy Spirit works and it's, and it says this, And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin, because they do not believe in Me. See, the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of their sin. He doesn't make people sinners. He makes them aware of who they already are as sinners. And the Holy Spirit speaks to the unbeliever's heart and the conscience, consciousness of that unbeliever about their standing before a holy God. And that God, God, God loves you and He wants a relationship with you. Will you believe in Jesus so that that can happen? Unbelief in Jesus Christ is sin. And, and who was on the top of this unbelief? The religious scholars and leaders of their day. Isn't that ironic? You would think it's like, oh, it's the worst sinner. It's, it's, and back in that day, it's the prostitute. It's the tax collector who's a, a traitor to his own people. And it's, it's, it's all these different people that you would think. It's, it's the religious scholars of that day. It's the religious leaders of that day. Be careful when listening to religious leaders, scholars, teachers. Because they don't always know what's best concerning the very religion that they're speaking about. Some of them may be unbelievers. And the best way for you not to get off track with them, me, is to become a believer yourself. Right? There can be religious people who are unbelievers. You look at the people in Jesus' day. Jesus performed miracles. The crowd marvels. And what do the religious leaders say? The devil. That's from the devil. And it's not that different nowadays, right? Religious people who make a mockery out of Jesus, misrepresenting him in in their legalism, in their judgment, in their condemnation. How many of you have been hurt by the church or religious people? Can I just see like a show of hands? I'm just interested in this kind of statistic. I'm really surprised it's not more. That's great. (laughs) I don't think that much has changed from Jesus' day. So, so don't, don't confuse Jesus with those people who are hurtful to you in his name or in the name of religion or in the name of church. See, that wasn't Jesus. Jesus himself was hurt by those very same people. He was a victim of those very same people, just like some of you. So you don't listen to the unbeliever regarding the things of Jesus. Believing is what transforms people, not knowing the Bible as a history book, knowing the Bible as a book of philosophy, knowing the Bible as a piece of literature. The question is, do you believe Jesus? In this section of Scripture, we'll, we'll take a look at three different responses to Jesus' healing of this mute man. The first one we started talking about already. Uh, but let's continue. Let me read verses 15 through 20. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, 
By whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The, the people marveled, and they're wondering if Jesus is this prophet that is spoken about in their scriptures. But, but these religious leaders, they accuse Jesus from being of Satan. Jesus responds with these three ifs. And so let's just take a look at one of each one of these three ifs. They're in verses 18 through 20, the first one in verse 18. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you that for you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. So Jesus was just using some simple logic and reasoning. And if you look at the the happenings of Libya this past week, is Qaddafi's kingdom still standing? It's divided, right? It's divided, and his kingdom could not stand. So, so it makes no sense that Satan, who is about Satan possession, is in a civil war with himself by liberating the people he's possessed. Because that would be like saying that Gaddafi started the civil war within his own regime to overthrow his dictatorship. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Right? So... That's one if. The second if is in verse 19. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. So Jesus cast out these demons just as other rabbis did before him. So were there demon exorcisms, were those from Satan too? Because the rabbis believed that demon deliverance uh, was of God. It's, it's a God thing. So how do they account for Jesus' deliverance of this formerly mute man? And how do they distinguish a deliverance by Jesus from any other rabbi if the belief is that demon deliverance is from God? How do you, how do you make that distinguish, distinguishing factor? There? So, so, but these guys are, are throwing out this kind of double standard, right? So, no, the one you did, Jesus, that, that's from Satan, but all the other ones are from God. You can't say that. So he's saying, therefore, the, the people before, they're going to be your judges. right? You're accusing me of doing it, so you must be saying that they're doing that out of Satan too. So, so the people who, who have delivered uh, demon-possessed people, they, they'll be the judge of whether you know, this is a Satan thing or a God thing. And obviously they're going to say it's a God thing because that could be like their dad or their uncle or their cousin. No, 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 that's, that's, that's God. So not only because it is... Uh, this is true, but if they chose to lie about it and say like, "Oh no, that's 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 a, a Satan thing," these guys are in deep water. I'm like, "What are you talking about? That's my uncle. That's my father, right?" So, so Jesus has them in this simple logic reasoning exercise. Verse twenty, the third if, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. If this is a God thing, then the kingdom of God has come. And that's kind of the logical conclusion. That's the reasonable conclusion. These guys heard about Jesus. They knew who He was. They, they just refused to believe. Remember, remember when Jesus was reading um, out of Isaiah in the synagogue in Nazareth? And it's, it's actually no accident that he's, He was reading from the book of Isaiah. And not to mention the fact that in most synagogues, they don't, they don't have the luxury that we have today in that we have the, the entire Bible, right? Genesis to Revelation. Back then, even though the New Testament wasn't written, 
they didn't have scrolls of the entire Old Testament Scriptures. Most places would just have bits and pieces, but most places would have the book of Isaiah. That was something that most folks had in their synagogue. They would have Isaiah. So here it is. Jesus is reading Isaiah. And in Luke chapter 4, Jesus reads from Isaiah. And, and I'm sure many, of, uh, many heard of Jesus' bold claim back then. They, they realized what Jesus was saying back then. And, and let's read that really quickly. Luke chapter 4, verses 17 through 21. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He made the claim that he was the Messiah of whom the prophets prophesied about back here in Luke chapter 4. The people marveled, and who didn't accept him? It's the religious leaders. You see the pattern? Right? They found Jesus unacceptable. They, they, they said, isn't this Joseph's son? And so we, we, we've seen this kid grow up right before our eyes. His mom is Mary, right? We, we don't even know who his father really is. Those people are, they're nothing special. In fact, that's, that's pretty bad stuff to come from. So the religious leaders didn't like that that carpenter from, from the Galilee region could be Messiah, that an illegitimate son born from a, an insignificant woman. How is this guy going to overcome Herod? How is this guy going to help us overcome the Roman Empire? This poor, insignificant Jesus who likes to hang out with prostitutes and, and traitors and lepers. He, he knows nothing of networking, of influence. He, he doesn't try to hang out with the high priest. Um, he, he doesn't hang out with the Pharisees and the scribes who are movers and shakers. He, he, he assembles a team and it's a bunch of blue-collar workers and some of them are fishermen. What is this guy? Like, who is this guy? See, Jesus didn't fit the bill for religious people. They, they had this picture of what the, the Messiah was supposed to look like, and Jesus just simply wasn't it. And I don't think the struggle to believe is all that different today. Right? The people who refuse to believe in Jesus, they have a belief of what God is supposed to look like. They want Jesus to fit into their idea of what God is supposed to look like. If God is real, then why do we have evil around the world? If God is real, then why this? The only way I'm going to believe God is this. And so they start drawing their own picture and their own expectations and their own perspective that God will answer to them. And so if those people continue living this way, if you are one of these people you will remain in your unbelief. God does not answer to us. We do not dictate who God is. God is God. He is not subject to us. The kingdom of God, not your kingdom, not my kingdom, the kingdom of God is not about religion. It's not about doing good things, saying good things. The kingdom of God is about what the king, God, 
What the king wants to happen, happens. That's a kingdom, right? Where you have your influence within your kingdom. You dictate what happens within your kingdom. That God's power of good overcomes evil. And so it's not about us thinking, oh, God should be doing this, God should be doing that. It's not our kingdom. How are we living as Christians? Are we just about being good religious people that do good things and say good things? Is that the extent of our religion? Is that it? If you are a Christian, where is the power of God in your life? Is the power of God's goodness in you overcoming evil of this world, is that present in your life? The, the ones who were once blind, do they see? The ones who are bound, are they free in Jesus? See, Christianity is not just about getting good pointers on how to live a good life and, and doing good things and saying good things. A lot of religions can do that. Actually, most of them do that. There's, not, there's very few religions out there that say, like, create havoc and chaos in the world. Right? Unless you're a Satan worshiper or something like that, where it's totally opposite. But most re- religions of the world are about being good people. Right? So what's the difference? What's the difference? Someone who knows a lot about Christianity and just lives that way makes religion dead. Right? If, if good advice and good living is all that we have to offer as Christians, no wonder the church is irrelevant. Because everyone offers that stuff. Everybody offers that stuff. Where is the life in that? The life within Christianity is having a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a relationship. Being under the Lordship of Jesus. How are we presenting our faith? Are we presenting a religion or are we presenting a relationship? If we present it as a religion, no wonder people are disinterested. There are a ton of religions out there. Right? And I think we'd get a lot further if we just simply stuck to the gospel and we told people about Jesus, that, that He's alive, that He resurrected from the dead, He went to hell to have a relationship with you and me. And, and if we just simply present Jesus, not our politics, not our moral behaviors, just presenting Jesus, not some moral standard of living or what to say, what to do, just the gospel of Jesus, I think we'd get a lot further. Jesus then gives us a metaphor in verses 21 through 22. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. It just reminds me a lot about what's going on in Libya. What's going on here? Strong man is a metaphor to Satan, right? But the stronger Jesus has overcome Satan. So you remember what Jesus did to Satan in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4. Right? He, he, he didn't succumb to any of those temptations. He defeated Satan in the wilderness. And Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. So Paul wrote about this in Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. 
This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Victory belongs to Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is true. After he died on the cross for our sins, sins that make us unrighteous before a holy God, he rose. He rose because of his sacrifice to spill his righteous blood for our unrighteousness. Now God looks at us as righteous people. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If Christ did not raise from the dead, what are we doing here? If you call your Christian and you don't believe Christ rose from the dead, there's no reason for you to be one. The foundation of the Christian faith is laid on the resurrection of Jesus. Now take a look at this next verse with me. Verse 23. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. For those who ever think that Jesus is all like, oh, come here and all, you know, everybody. These are fighting words. Right? This is pretty black and white. Jesus said this. You're either for him or you're against him. There is no middle ground. There is no Switzerland. Right? There's no neutrality. There's no neutral zone. The division of eternity lies in Jesus. You're either with him or you're not. There is no other option. And this is really difficult for some of us to accept because we don't like this idea of uh, division or you and me and, and, and being separated. We, we want alternatives, right? We want something that can kind of bend the rules a little bit. But that's not the message of Jesus. That's not the reality of Satan's bondage. Some people are thinking like, oh, that God, how can that be? He's so like overprotective or overbearing. You're either there or here or whatever. Let's take a look at it from the other way. You're either in Satan's bondage or you're not. He wants you. So you're either there or you're not. Why do we all, or not we, why do people always look at it from the perspective of God saying like, oh, he just wants us there and he, or you're either with him or you're not. It's because you're either with Satan or you're not. There is no other alternative. So, see, none of us is truly free from Satan unless someone stronger has set us free. You are already in bondage. You can only get out of it if someone stronger pulls you out of that. All of us need this need, all of us have this need to be free. Some may not want to be. Some of the, some of you may want to remain with the strong man. Some of you are dedicated or are, are, are really wanting to be with him, just like this Qaddafi re- regime. Some of these folks know what's coming, but they're still dedicated to the dictator. They are going to die with him. But the freedom can only be achieved by one who is stronger to set you free. In this case, it's Jesus. In the, in the case of the everlasting, it's Jesus. One of the difficulties some people run into is believing that they're not held captive. And you are. And they, they don't believe this because, hey, what do I need? I'm, 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 I'm good. 
I, I'm not hungry, I'm clothed, I'm whatever. And so whether it be material wealth or some political freedom that we experience or whatever leads people to believe that they are truly free, but they really aren't because Jesus said that there is no neutral zone. You're either held by that strong man or I'm going to set you free. We are either liberated by the transforming power of Jesus or we're still, or we're still held captive by the strong man. And going to church, doing religious things, knowing religious things, it doesn't equate to being set free from the strong man. Right? Have you been transformed by Jesus? Have you been liberated by the stronger man? Which side are you on? There is no middle. And it's not like you're a, a, a rope of a, you know, tug of war, like Jesus here and Satan's here. Like, who's stronger? Oh, oh. You, you can believe, and you're with Jesus. You cannot believe, and you're there. It's not this like, oh, I'm going to be split apart. There, there is no half dead. You're either dead or you're not dead, right? There's no half dead. It's just like pregnancy. There's no half pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not. There is no half dead. So you're either alive or you're dead. Where are you spiritually? Are you spiritually dead with the strong man or are you alive with Jesus? And if you're spiritually dead and you physically die, you're spiritually dead forever. If you're spiritually alive with Jesus and you physically die, you're with Jesus in heaven forever. Where are you spiritually? Verses 24 through 26. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than before. What's this all about? Well, I think one way to look at this is religion without Jesus. Or relying on yourself. Whether it's like you know, self-help stuff or just doing things for yourself without Jesus. See, there are a lot of good things people can do for themselves. There's a lot of self-healing that you can do for yourself. There are a lot of good things that other religions can do for people. I'm not going to deny that at all. They do good works. But the thing is that all those things are temporary. Even Christianity, if approached simply as a religion, can be like this. Right? That, 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 that things go well for a while. You know, you're, you're getting the help, you're getting the counseling, you're reading the Bible, you're doing all these type of things. But if it's simply just a religion and, and you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're just kind of going about things religiously, those issues that you were dealing with before, they can come back. And when they come back, they come back stronger. Right? So you don't, you don't have um, that, that when you really have a relationship with Jesus because it's kind of backfilled. Right? The things that you're working out of your life, they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they're occupied by a stronger man. 
But if you're just occupying stuff with kind of like self-help things or religiosity and, and lifestyle and all this thing, when these things come back in a state of weakness and there's no vacancy by the Holy Spirit, it gets filled by that stuff. Right? So we are justified by Jesus. We are looked upon as righteous before God. And if that wasn't good enough, we're filled by the Holy Spirit and, and our lives produce good fruit. It's not empty for it to be occupied again. And so when we look at other things outside of Jesus, yeah, we can, we can do a lot of good. You can overcome a lot of addictions. You can mend a lot of relationships outside of a relationship with Jesus. You can. People have done it. But the likelihood of things being shot forth for the everlasting is not likely. Those issues that you have, that sin issue that you have, that, nature, that sin nature that you have is not washed away outside of Jesus Christ. It is still lingering. That's what God does in our lives. You, you ever garden in Funktown Farm across the street? If those of you don't know, we, we have a farm across the street. And um, if the people who garden back there don't show up every week, what do you think is going to happen to that garden? It's going to be overgrown with weeds, right? There's nothing there that's going to be good. If they don't go back there intentionally, purposefully, and thoughtfully to plant and to nurture good fruit and vegetables, it will be overrun with weeds. Guaranteed. It's not like they're going to go back there one day and like, whoa, where did that zucchini come from? We never planted that. Whoa, look at those strawberries. There are no weeds. It's full of strawberries. That's not going to happen. God tends to us. There's a relationship with us. He gives us purpose. He, he takes out all these weeds of our lives so, so we produce meaningfully. He nurtures us. Some of us have some mean old gardens to tend to too, right? We've got some mean weeds there. Some of us need a lot of tending. But that's what it's about. It's a relationship. He tends to us. But what we do on our own isn't everlasting transformation. Right? Those self-help things. It's just religion itself. In fact, what we do in our own power is lethal. Following anything other than Jesus, that's dangerous territory to venture into. So as a church, let's not make it about church. Let's make it about Jesus. It's not about getting people to attend church. It's not about um, just sitting here and singing songs and listening to me talk for like 45 minutes. That is boring. It's about sitting at Jesus' feet. Right? Listening to Him. It's a, not about us giving people some moral code of conduct of, of a good life and giving them good advice and good counsel when, when their life is going bad. It's about following Jesus. It's about pointing people to Jesus, being in submission to Jesus. It's Jesus, nothing else, no one else. Do you believe in Jesus? And so in the middle of this reasoning with this crowd, this woman just kind of shouts out the second response, right? And he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. Weird. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus has a fan. Right? But, but even this response to Jesus isn't what Jesus is about. 
right? It, it, it's, it's better than the accusation the scribes and Pharisees did saying, oh, power of the devil. I mean, I, it's better than that, I think. But it's not the response that Jesus had in mind. Right? She, she did see Jesus as a great man and how proud a mother would be of him. So most definitely Mary is proud of Jesus. Jesus doesn't correct that. I mean, that's true. He doesn't say like, no, she's not blessed. And, you know, her womb is cursed. I mean, he didn't say that stuff, right? It's true. He didn't correct her. But he does guide what she said to some more meaningful response. And so he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. See, Jesus wasn't dismissing how blessed his, his mother was. He was just directing, redirecting people to a more significant relationship. A spiritual relationship. That the spiritual relationship with Jesus, with God, is more significant, more meaningful than a biological relationship with Him. Right? You can be His brother or His sister, His mother or father. That's not nearly as meaningful and purposeful as you're with Him spiritually. Blessed, rather, are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. And then a third response to Jesus in our text. Verses 29 through 30. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. That crowd sought for a sign. My question is, didn't Jesus just heal a mute man? And so now the crowds want another sign. And Jesus wasn't about to play that game. The crowd was busy looking for proof. But it's not the type of proof that would help them in becoming a believer. The proof they were asking for was more of like entertainment. They wanted to satisfy curiosity. Like, hey, check this out. This guy is like good. He's a good magician. And for those sincerely seeking Jesus, you see, there was already plenty of proof of who he was or who he is. And it wasn't that Jesus doesn't want to provide proof of who he is. He does. He has been doing this. But he called that generation an evil generation. Why is that? Because it's a matter of their heart and their attitude, not a matter of what they were witnessing. Right? I, I don't think Jesus would have balked at giving a sign to a genuine seeker who doesn't know the signs of Jesus, if they just never knew. But this crowd, I don't think we can consider them as genuinely seeking. And the reason is because this was a crowd that witnessed the healing of this mute man and more than likely witnessed many other miracles of Jesus because there were crowds following Jesus all the time. So these guys already have an agenda not to believe Jesus. They're just opposed to Him. So God knows our hearts. He knows the difference between those who have this authentic desire to seek Him and those who are hard-hearted towards Him. And it doesn't matter what Jesus does. So these guys were already given a sign, and this sign was the sign of Jonah. These guys probably didn't regard that as a sign because they don't know what he was talking about. They probably didn't even know what Jesus was even mentioning. Even though they are very familiar with this story. They know this story. Unlike some of you who who may not be. But these guys back then, they know this story. The story of Jonah, let me go through it really quickly in case some of you aren't familiar with it. 
And you can listen to our Jonah series actually on iTunes if you want to go back there. But let me give you just a, a little, little small summary of it. Jonah was sent to the Ninevites by God to, to tell them to repent of their evil ways. But he decides not to go. He wants to be disobedient to God's call. And so what he does, he actually goes and he pays a fare on a ship to go the opposite direction. The very opposite direction. And so this storm comes up and it freaks the people out and they start throwing things overboard to try to save themselves and, and Jonah's just kind of hanging out and, and, uh, and he's like, hey, it's kind of my fault. And they're like, what? He's like, yeah, I, you know, I've been running from God and so you know, throw me overboard and all this stuff will it'll be okay. Throw him overboard. He gets swallowed by a fish. God forgives him of his disobedience. The fish spits him out to preach to the Ninevites who repented and, and they were saved from God's wrath. And so some of you who are not familiar with Jonah or who are not familiar with Christianity at all and all this kind of stuff, like, get me out of here. These guys believe in fishes, eating people, and spitting them out and all this kind of stuff. Listen to the Jonah series, please. Don't run out there with it. But Jonah emerged from three days of being in the belly of that fish, which is essentially death, to preach repentance. A man who was dead, he comes back to life to preach repentance to sinful people. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Jesus was referring to his resurrection. Jesus also made reference to his resurrection in John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Jesus was talking about his resurrection. And in our text today, we find the crowds asking for another sign. When signs have, have already been provided, the sign of Jonah for them, the resurrection for us. Now, the next verse, verse 31, this is in reference to 1 Kings chapter 10. The queen of the south, this is in 1 Kings chapter 10, the, first, the queen of the south will arise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. That's verse 31 of Luke. This is in reference to 1 Kings chapter 10. You can read it for yourself. But if you go back to 1 Kings chapter 10, this is the queen of Sheba. She packs up all her stuff. She gets her whole entourage to go hear the wisdom of Solomon. She goes to great efforts to, to, to visit this wise king. And before this crowd was someone, Jesus, who was far greater than Solomon. Like this, this would have knocked their socks off. Like, how arrogant. How conceited. Solomon rebuilt our temple. Who are you? Solomon's the wisest king to ever live. Who are you? And so to have the revelation that of Jesus before us, who is greater than the prophet Jonah, greater than King Solomon, we're so privileged to have the Word of God before us. Right? Well, what, what, what other signs are needed? The revelation of God is within His Word. And generation upon generation, they've been shown these different signs. We have the the accumulation of all these signs recorded for us in the Bible. How many of you will finally really believe if God did a miracle for you? 
If it really, if, if your heart is set on on not believing, you probably won't, even though a miracle was given to you. And maybe God is going to give you a miracle, but more than likely He is not because He's already revealed Himself to us in the historic Jesus. And yet we still don't believe, or some of you still don't believe. The revelation has already happened. What more does He have to do? He's real. If you don't believe in Jesus, you need to prove the resurrection false. If the resurrection is true, the sign is already given. The miracle has already been given. Now notice that those who denied Jesus were His own people. They were Jews. The people who marveled and questioned where He was from or He was from the devil, they were from His own people. They were from the religious people. The queen of Sheba who sought Solomon, who was she? A foreigner. A total foreigner. Isn't it interesting that those on the inside, those in the church, those who are religious, may actually be the farthest from God? And those on the outside, seeking truth, seeking God authentically, genuinely, seeking God, may actually be the closest to God. Verse 32, the men of Nineveh will rise up, uh, rise up the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Those people were so far from God that they're going to come back up and say, like, you're stupid. How can you deny them? We had this guy come out of the belly of the fish and we believed. You have the whole revelation of the Bible and you don't believe. That's dumb. Right? They will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. Condemnation will be for, for those who have denied the resurrection of Jesus. So, so where are you at in relationship to Jesus? A relationship with Jesus doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to experience or, or witness miracle upon miracle. Maybe you will. But it doesn't guarantee it. The signs of faith in Jesus Christ aren't always spectacular. They aren't always dramatic. They aren't always miraculous. Faith is to be worked out in discipleship. And discipleship, which is learning to be like Jesus if Jesus were I, requires this continual persistence even in the absence of the dramatic, the spectacular, the miraculous. That Jesus is more than enough. We are incapable to save ourselves. It's all about Jesus and His gift of grace to us. We can't earn righteousness. It's through Jesus. Jesus is sufficient to rescue us from our sins. Let us pray. God, we ask that we would not rely on anything, anyone, but You. Lord, for any idol that we are holding out out there, any ideology, any relationship, anything that is held as an idol, Lord, I pray that you would show that to us so that we can work that out and fill it with the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for your patience with us and revealing yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen.